All right, as I said, it's a bittersweet evening tonight because we wrap up our series on the men around Paul. It has been a wonderful experience for me as I've had the privilege of digging down deep into the scriptures to mine out the details on the lives of those people who shaped, supported, or even challenged the life of the Apostle Paul. And one of the amazing observations that I've had as I have gone through this study is to see how the Apostle Paul, with time and with maturity, did not become more and more independent. But as he grew older in the faith and as he grew more experienced in his ministry, he gathered more and more people around him. And as he did, he was not afraid to express his need for them. And at the same time, he invested his life in theirs to make them better men. This evening, we want to look at at kind of a summary, what we need to do in response to this series. If all that this series has contributed to us is found in terms of head knowledge, in terms of knowing timelines and dates, knowing maps, and understanding the historical milieu a little bit better, we have failed at the task before us. It is not just that we want more knowledge. It's that our lives need to be impacted by this series. Every single individual, whether it is Paul himself, whether it is Barnabas or Mark, whether it's Epaphras or Epaphroditus, Onesimus or Philemon, whether it is any of the men that we've studied, 19 separate individuals, These men need to impact our lives, and we need to learn from them. And our study this this evening is going to focus on the importance of learning from leaders, the imperative of learning from leaders. And as we do that, I'm going to look at one text in particular. We'll look at several. But one text that Paul wrote that summarizes what needs to be our response to this entire series. As we do this, I'm going to focus on on three things, the Pauline imperative, the concrete provisions, and the ensuing responsibility. As we talk about learning from leaders, we're going to look at it from the standpoint of Paul's imperative that we must learn from other leaders, particularly from his own life. We're going to look at the provisions that God has given us so that we can learn from leaders. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the ensuing responsibility that comes from that as we transition from imitation to being worthy examples for others to follow. So let's look at these three. First of all, the Pauline imperative. The text that I want to focus on for most of this evening is found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Here the Apostle Paul says this, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. As we talk about the Pauline imperative, I want you to focus on the first of these two commands. Brethren, join in following my example. Literally, we could translate this as brethren or brothers become fellow imitators of me. The verb that Paul uses here is is very interesting. In fact, it's not found anywhere else. The the root of this word is found elsewhere, but the 
specific composition of this word, the word for fellow imitator that Paul uses here is, is unique. And it suggests the, this idea of, of, of becoming one who joins others as an imitator. One who joins others as an imitator. Paul is calling upon the Philippian believers and he's call, calling upon us who received this letter of Philippians as well to join with others in becoming an imitator of Paul. That very word suggests a corporate activity here. And it emphasizes the fact that this is not an individual enterprise. That the church and, and Christianity in general is not about individualism. It's not about isolated islands, men unto themselves. This is about a corporate effort that involves everyone in the body of Christ. We are not just to become imitators of Paul, Paul says, but we are to join with others in this endeavor. We are to spur one another on. We are to be part of each other's effort at becoming imitators of Paul. And that word, fellow imitator, comes from a more common word, mimetes is the word, from which we get the word mimicry or mimic. And essentially, Paul is saying this, brethren, join together in mimicking me. Join together in mimicking me. Now, this concept of imitation or mimicry is is actually common in Paul's letters. It's not just limited to his instructions to the Philippian church. So, for example, he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4.16, he says, I exhort you, be imitators, be mimics of me. Same word that's used there in its simple form. Be mimics of me. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, become imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. To the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, he says, you also became mimickers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation and the joy of the Holy Spirit. He'll go on to write to the Thessalonians again in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse, verses 7 and 9, he said, you know how you ought to follow our example. And then in verse 9, he, he says this, so that you would follow our example. In Philippians 4 verse 9, the same letter that we're focusing on tonight, he uses some different terminology, but the same concept. He says, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. To Timothy, he writes in 2 Timothy 3 verses 10 to 14, he said, you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. The concept of imitation was very, very important to the Apostle Paul. He understood that this idea of providing a model for others to follow is, is really central to the Christian life. It's central to discipleship, to the, to the Great Commission. In fact, it was very important to the ancient Greeks as a whole when it came to character development. Now, I'm going to talk about in just a moment how our society is, is, it abhors the idea of, 
of imitating another person. I'll get to that in just a moment. But before I do, I want to summarize how the ancient Greeks looked at the importance of imitation. And this is very, very important. In fact, it's the, the ancient Greek culture that that uh, essentially serves as the foundation for all that was good in, in many ways in our educational system. Of course, we're losing that now. But notice how the ancient Greeks emphasized imitation. Let me read from what one scholar Debor says about this. From early times, the Greeks had noticed that an essential part of the growth and education process in human beings is by the process of imitation. This applied not only in developing mechanical skills, but fully as much in the development of character and in the formation of one's customs, ways, and way of life. In the process of developing by way of imitation, parents and teachers played a most important role as example. Now, our society has gotten away from that in a significant way. To our society, our postmodern society, the concept of imitation is outrightly offensive. To call upon someone to imitate you is is offensive. And, and we're seeing the, the, the consequences of that. Just look in the family, where you have fathers who, who cannot call upon their children to imitate them, and children who would never imitate their fathers. Look in the school systems, where teachers are the worst thing to imitate in some, some cases. You, you look at that, and, and you see that, that in our society today, the concept of imitation has been wholly lost. For Paul, some would say, postmodern interpreters would say that for Paul to call upon others to imitate him is considered an abuse of power, a, a, a filthy attempt to assert power over other people. You would dare to ask someone to imitate you. Imitation in our society implies the superiority of one form and the, the implicit inferiority of another. Imitation insists on sameness and does not allow for diversity. Imitation constrains people to follow some other predetermined path rather than liberating people to become who they want to be in their individual person. That is our society today. Radical individualism. And, and you see it in these kinds of mottos that you'll see plastered on in, in, on, on bumpers and on t-shirts and things of this nature. I am unique. I am special. I am me. You may be able to tell me something about what the weather will be tomorrow, but you can't tell me what to do. You certainly cannot call upon me to imitate you. That's the society in which we live but Paul's request, Paul's command to imitate him was not some egotistical abuse of power. Not at all. That takes Paul's words out of context. In fact, the context of this command in Philippians 3 verse 17 is very important. If you note just a few verses prior to this command, you see Paul's humility put on full display. This great theologian, this apostle to the Gentiles, says this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. 
Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid a hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This was the example of Paul. This is what he called the Philippians to imitate. It was not imitation of Paul for Paul's glory's sake. It was not the imitation of Paul's manners of speech or his hand gestures or his intonation. It was not a a mimicking of the way Paul dressed. It was an imitation of Paul's priorities. It was an imitation of Paul's love. In fact, elsewhere, and we've read this verse already, Paul makes it very clear that the, the standard, the ultimate gold standard is not Paul himself. So when he gives the command in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 to become imitators, he attaches that to the archetype. He says, become imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. In other words, imitate me to the extent that my life mimics the life of Jesus Christ. One commentator put it this way. In this statement, Paul does not intend to say that he is better than anyone else. In calling for imitation, it is not for people to emulate his privileges, achievements, or advantages. advantages. Rather, he calls for them to copy his self-denying and self-giving acts, his willingness to suffer for the sake of others, his losing all for Christ, his imitation of Christ, his seeking for goodness not in himself but in God, and his admission that perfection is not yet his but is eagerly pursued by him. So as we consider this Pauline imperative, men, we need in in our own hearts to determine that we need to imitate someone. And Paul is for us a place to start. More than ever, this generation of men needs to stop insisting on individuality and uniqueness. And this is certainly very politically incorrect today. We must stop insisting on my own uniquenesses and my own individuality and instead recognize on the importance or recognize the importance of faithful role models like the Apostle Paul and not be ashamed to say that I need to follow that man's example. Second, the concrete provisions. Now when Paul wrote to the Thessalonian or to the Philippian church, he was hundreds of miles away in Rome under house arrest. How could they imitate the life of one who is absent? In fact, when you really look at the the history of Paul with the Philippian church, he had only spent a matter of, of weeks with them. On his second missionary journey, Acts chapter 16, you can look it up there, Acts 16, verse 12 to 40, Paul spent a matter of weeks in Philippi, not very long at all. 
And then he only very rarely in his history will will go through Philippi again to spend time with this church. He's not with them a lot. And yet he calls upon them to imitate his example. The question is, how do you do that? Well, Paul was not the only model. He did not believe he was the only model. And that's where you find, uh, why you find this second imperative that is found in Philippians chapter 3 verse 17. He not only calls upon them to join his, his, uh, following his example, but he says this, observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. In his absence, the Philippians could look to others for the standard to shape their lives. He did not possess a monopoly on this. He was open in saying, I'm not the only one. There are others who are near to you, who are within eyesight. Imitate them. Walk uh, or observe them. Observe those who walk according to this pattern. It's interesting to note that Paul here looks at lifestyle, he looks at a walk as a pattern that can have influence. And this word pattern that we find in Philippians 3 verse 17 originally referred to that which was left by a strike, the the blow against something. And, And so if you have some kind of object and you strike it against something, especially something that's impressionable, it leaves its form its image in that substance. So over time, it came to be used for uh, for this concept of pattern. And you could see it in terms of a, a wax uh, a wax seal placed on some kind of a letter that had a signet impression, signet ring impression made in it. Or Roman coins, which were pressed with the imprint of the Caesars, like Nero. That was a tupos. That was an impression that was a pattern, a model. And and for Paul, he uses this term elsewhere too, not just in Philippians, to refer to this idea of a pattern that has influence, something that has been that 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 has itself been impacted and then in turn leaves an impression for others, a pattern for others to discern what it was that impacted it in the first place. Now, who were these others who walked according to this pattern? These others who could be examples for the Philippians to follow? We've looked at some of these lives, and certainly this is in the Philippian context. If we would look at the whole list of men in all the different churches, we could come up with a long list. But in the Philippian context, Paul points them specifically to Timothy. Timothy had spent considerably more time with the Philippians, and even now Paul was sending Timothy back to the Philippian church to spend time with them. And so Paul talks about Timothy and says, you know his proven worth. He is one who walks according to the standard. Or Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. And and we read, for example, at 29 and 30 of chapter 2 of Philippians that Paul calls upon the Philippians to hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Those are two examples. Undoubtedly, Paul had in mind the overseers and the deacons which he, to which he referred in Philippians 1 verse 1 in his salutation. But the reality of this was, was that there were real people 
that would be in the midst of the Philippian church itself, upon whom the the Philippian believers could look, people who would serve in person as concrete examples of the model. And this is the divine provision. This is the provision, the concrete provisions that God has given to the church. So even in our case, Paul is not with us. We certainly can read about him, and we have more to read than the Philippians did. The Philippians just had their letter at that time. We have all of Paul's 13 letters and Luke's history of Paul's life. So we have more that we can know of Paul in some ways. But that still is an example that is somewhat detached and removed from us. Paul doesn't live in our time. He doesn't deal with the problems of today. But we do have provisions, concrete provisions in our midst. Men like a Dick Martin that we are called upon to observe because they walk according to the pattern. Now, when Paul says observe such men, that verb is in the present tense, emphasizing a continuous activity. You could translate it this way. Be observing, be watching, be paying attention, be giving close observation to the lives of such men. It even came, this word, even came to describe the goal line. When Paul says observe, he also uses this same root word to describe a goal line. Even just a few verses previous to this, in Philippians 3 verse 14, where he talks about pressing on toward the goal, the word is related to observe because as runners would run the race, what was imperative for them as they ran the race was to fix their eyes not on the stands and not on other runners, but to fix their eyes on the goal line, on the finish line. Paul uses that same verb to say, fix your attention on such men. Observe such men. It's a call to continuous, attentive observation. We, we could look at the letter of the Hebrew to the Hebrews, where Paul says the same thing in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us cast off every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As a runner, fix your eyes on the goal line. And Paul says, as a runner of the Christian race, fix your eyes on these leaders who are worthy of imitation. One commentator says, those first Christians, coming as they did from a pagan society with values totally antithetical to Christian values, sounds like today, they needed not only to hear what was right, but also to see it done. It was inadequate for them to have Christian truth presented in a code of precepts and maxims. They needed to observe it embodied in the lives of Christ's ministers. Hence, Paul was keenly conscious of his responsibility to give the Philippians tangible proof of the truth of the gospel as truth made concrete, quantifiable, and measurable in human life, his life, and the lives of those who followed him. Summarized in the words of another commentator, as he commented on Philippians 3 verse 17, he said this, Keep your eye on the goal if you can see it. 
If not, keep your eye on one who knows the way to the goal and who is going there. That is the call for us. And and here's the reality. The, The Christian life is not just about precept. It is about practice. The Christian life is not just about knowledge. It is about character. It's not just about gaining an understanding of facts and data related to the Bible. The Christian life is about conformity to the person of Jesus Christ. And that conformity is learned by looking at the example of those who are just a little bit ahead of us, who are themselves looking at others who are just a little bit ahead of them and going all the way back to the the first runners who have their eyes and had their eyes fixed on Jesus, the historical person. That that is the way the Christian life is to be lived in the church as, as members of the church are all observing each other as they observe others, as they observe others, as they observe Jesus Christ. That's what body life is all about. Hebrews 13 verse 7, the writer says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct to imitate their faith. That leads to the third point, the ensuing responsibility. If this is what we are to be engaged in, observing those who are worthy of imitation because their eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ, that leads to a a responsibility. We see this in a text like 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-7. This is beautifully portrayed in, in this text as Paul writes to this young Thessalonian church. This church had been, had been established just six months prior to the writing of 1 Thessalonians, AD 50, around that time. Paul's in Corinth. He sends a letter to this church, brand new in the Lord, and he says this, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now look what follows. So that, or with the result that, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. There is here initial conformity. Paul says you became mimetai. You became mimics. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And now notice the resulting impact in verse 7. So that you became an example. Tupas. Model. Pattern to all believers. You see, here's the reality. To the degree that we are faithful in imitation, imitating the right things, to the degree that we are faithful in that is the degree to which we will have an influential example to the uh, to others. As we become imitators, we then can become patterns. As we mimic others, we then can become the tupas, the model for others to follow. Certainly we could look at negative examples that, that, uh, Paul gives in his, in his letter. For example, even in Philippians 3 verses 17 to 19, right after he gave that command to join in following his example, he then turns in verse 18 to talk about the fact that there are many who walk and they are imposters. So they're 
There are those who are walking, but they are not examples to follow. We could look at Paul's reference to Old Testament Israel in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, especially verses 5 to 12, where he says that their, their disobedient lives serve as examples, but only to the extent that they are warnings for us. We have a responsibility instead to portray a positive example, especially here at this church where there are so many wonderful, faithful patterns for us to follow. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Or in Titus 2 verses 6 to 8, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be a tupos, an example. That is our calling. As we are exposed to the lives of those who are worthy of imitation, lives of Paul and Barnabas and Luke and Mark and Epaphroditus and Epaphras and Philemon and Onesimus, Onesiphorus and many others, we have a great responsibility in turn to show ourselves to be in that line, an example worthy to be followed. The faithful examples of the Apostle Paul, the historical heroes of the faith, and and the men in our own midst leave us with this inescapable responsibility to mimic their qualities in order to become an example for others to follow. And the reality of it is you are an example right now in some way. The issue is, are you an example that Paul would use as he writes to the Corinthians and says this is an example to take warning from? This is a Demas or a Hymenaeus kind of an example? Or are you one of these examples like Epaphroditus where Paul could say, hold such men in high regard, imitate such men? Well, as we bring this to example, I want to give you some practical steps that you can become a faithful imitator and a worthy Example, some practical steps here. I'll go through these quickly. First and foremost, foundational. Without this, there is no progress. Number one, grow in your knowledge of the archetype, Jesus Christ. Read the scriptures to learn about and imitate Jesus. The Son of God came down and, and, and he took upon human form, first and foremost, to atone for our sins, but secondly and importantly, he took on human form to provide an example for us to follow. Read the scriptures to learn about him. Continually ask this question. In his humanity, not in his deity, but in his human nature, what did Jesus do or say that I should imitate in my life today? That's priority number one. Number two, Read biographies of great men who are worthy of imitation. Read biographies of great men who are worthy of imitation. Biography is life without theory, as one British prime minister said. Life without theory. It's the real deal. Read biography. And as you do, place greater emphasis on observing and imitating character qualities than on merely gathering historical data. There's, there's two types of, of biography readers. Those who are just historians who just want to be informed. And then there's the other type, those 
who want to imitate. Be of the second category. Be the imitator. So as you pick up the biography of a, of a great man of God, a hero of the faith, as you go through, have that pencil in hand and underline those things that explain how such men prayed, how such men related to their wives and their children, how such men made decisions, how such men sacrificed, how such men endured trials. Underline those things. Contemplate those things. Pause your reading and think about how you can imitate those kinds of qualities in your life today. The goal in reading biography must not be trivial pursuit. It must be practical living. I have a few quality classic biographies here that I have listed. They'll come through in, in the notes that I send. But my challenge to you is if you're not a biographer, a biography reader, this summer, by September 1st, when we again come back together in the fall, read one substantial biography of a great man of God. One substantial biography, not the Cliff Notes version, which just give you those historical details, but a, a substantial biography that will take you deep into their lives, that will record conversations and, and, and reveal lengthy uh, discussions and, and information about their walk of faith. Read biography. Number three, as you learn to observe those who walk according to the pattern be part of the right crowd. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Paul says also in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33, quoting a, a proverb of the day, Bad company corrupts good morals. If you're going to observe those who walk according to the pattern, it means you need to be in the circle of those who are walking according to the pattern. So who are your friends? You become like those that you spend time with. So uh, are you seeking to, to be alongside and in the company of men of God? Or are you much more comfortable in the neighbor down the street who's got a pack of Bud Light in his garage and drinks every evening? Is, is that what gives you comfort? You, you need to have a priority to have your best time, your most alert moments when you are with those who are worthy of imitation. Fourth, find someone specifically, a real-life example to observe and imitate. And no, this doesn't mean that you need to have formal meetings together or where you go through a 50-step checklist or things like that. But just choose one man. Maybe it's for the rest of this year, six months. Maybe it's for the next year. Choose a man that is in your circle some way that you have exposure to and say, I'm going to observe his life carefully. I'm going to see how he interacts with people. I'm, I'm going to listen to see how he talks about other people, how he talks about his faith, how he makes decisions, where he places his priority. I'm going to watch him from afar and, and I'm going to watch him up close. It may, it may involve specific meetings and having coffee with, with him. But find someone, a, a concrete individual that, that you can imitate. And again, we're not talking about dress. We're not talking about mannerisms. We're not talking about accent and things like that. We're, we're talking about his faith. Number five, ask questions and be ready to receive answers. Again, this is hard for men. 
We know it all. And so the idea of asking for counsel is, is, is very difficult. But if you're really serious about this, you will, you will put that aside. You will put that off. And, and you will put on instead a, a genuine inquisitiveness and a receptivity to counsel. Will you, where you will ask questions of other men who are worthy of imitation. How did you get to this point in your life? How, how do you relate to your wife in this situation? How do you handle this work issue? How do you handle a, how do you handle debt? How do you handle a problem with lustful thoughts? How, how did you uh, mortify and, and put off uh, outbursts of anger in your life? These kinds of things. Ask questions. And when you ask them, have a genuine receptivity to the answer. Not one of these things where as soon as you hear the answer, you go, uh-uh, no, I'm not going to listen to that. If he is worthy of imitation, you, you must at least give a great serious attempt to apply the counsel that such a wise man gives before you write it off as 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 inapplicable to your particular situation. Ask questions and be ready to receive the answers. And then number six, and finally, always be conscious of your obligation to be a positive example. This is something that can keep you from sin. This is something that can help you in a moment of temptation simply when you realize others' eyes are watching me. And what I do in this moment, in the heat of the moment, what I do here is not just something between me and the Lord. This is something that affects these other people. Maybe it's my kids, my wife, coworkers, people in my Bible study, my neighborhood. People are watching me. And in every moment as I make decisions about what I do, about what I think, about how I spend my money, about the words that I speak, that I must consciously, intentionally determine to be an example that is worthy of imitation. I can't let my foot off the gas. I can't say this only applies to Sunday morning or Wednesday night. I've got to say, this is a lifestyle where I have to justify my behaviors as to whether they can be mimicked by other people. And if you will introduce that into your life, if you will pursue that as a, as a habit, you will find that it will give you extra added help in the moment when you feel ready to fall. Live life. Determined to live life in a way that you could be like Paul and say, follow me as I follow Christ in this issue. Follow me as I follow Christ in this particular trial. Follow me as I follow Christ in this particular decision. That is what we are called to do and This is what we must take away from this series. In the end, it doesn't matter to me whether you remember all the maps, the dates, the mileage, where all these men are located in the in the pages and references of Scripture. What matters to me is that your life will change and that you will emulate what you need to emulate as you've studied these men alongside me. Let us pray towards that end. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful privilege blessing that you've given all of us this past year. 21 studies 
related to biography, biblical biography. But now as we come to its end, we know that knowledge can puff up. We pray that you would not allow that to happen in our lives, but rather we would walk out of here under conviction that we would walk out of this this auditorium with a heavy sense of obligation of the things in our lives that need to change because we've been confronted with a pattern that is that is superior to the pattern we currently demonstrate. And we have no qualms in admitting that and saying, I need that better pattern. Give us the grace and strength then to pursue that example. And then again, Father, we confess that we fall short, especially as we think of the archetype, the real man, Jesus. The whole process of sanctification is conformity to his image. The whole goal of salvation is conformity to his example. We're far from that now. We're a little bit farther along than when we began a year ago or 20 years ago. We are looking forward to that time when we will be like him because we will see him for who he is. And we thank you that ultimately he is the one who will bring it to completion. He is the one who will carry us through to the end and will do this wonderful work, the work that we are incapable of doing ourselves. And he will make us like him so that he would have the joy and the crown of being the firstborn among many. Lord, we pray for this, for his name's sake, for his glory's sake. Amen.